0: Hello, welcome back to Out of Our Heads, a comics and pop culture podcast from the minds of Joe Bortner and the extraordinary Nick Bortolapas. Nick, welcome back. It's it's been um, too long.
1: Yeah, thanks. Good to good to be back. Um, now, um, should we continue talking about Phineas Phineas Fletcher as we do? Uh, uh,
0: yeah, yeah. We we were talking before the show about this character whom I'm sure you're all familiar with Phineas from Phineas and Ferb. Um, you know, creepy guy. Um, putting it out there like
1: yeah i was just saying that he kind of scares me because he he doesn't ever encounter issues he's never he never has an emotion i think i think he has an emotion maybe twice in the whole thing including like the most recent movie
0: like you know phineas exists in a world where where he he does not undergo hardship except for in in extremely um special situations aka like the 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 movies um And usually, like, that comes out in terms of of combativeness with others, um, which, you know, makes me sad for the guy.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I think, you know, on the other hand, Ferb never experiences emotions, but we sympathize with him, so it's interesting. Yeah, Um,
0: I I think Ferb's a very sympathetic character.
1: Um, I think that Ferb's head maybe looks more human, and so we are more likely to want to sort of trade goods with him, if that makes sense.
0: mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If you...
1: Phineas were more likely to bludgeon were right. he to approach us in the wild. Yeah, I
0: mean, so so if you saw Phineas and Ferb on the street as hot dog vendors, um, you're in New York City. Picture this. That really uh, helped
1: me visualize because now they're behind a sort of a three-dimensional <laughs> objects, but in a two-dimensional situation. <laughs> Before this, I was having trouble, but that helped me. I can really see that.
0: Okay. Uh, Phineas is on one side of the street uh ferb is on the other side wait
1: i'm sorry are they not both behind a hot dog stand
0: no 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 they're running competing hot dog stands what? why would they do that them. they would never do that they're brothers <laughs> <laughs> i need to establish from which brother would you run to the other brother um in order to acquire a hot dog because you are scared ferb. visually of the yeah,
1: one hundred percent Ferb. Actually, that's a very interesting concept, Joe. I feel like we just cracked. That would be funny, Phineas versus Furb? That <laughs> that's I think that's a pretty good idea, honestly.
0: Mm-hmm. We can uh, we can pitch it to Disney's top men.
1: I think in thirty years, they not thirty years, 10, 15 years. There'll be a movie called Phineas and Ferb in the real world, and they sort of crawl out of a sewer that there was a portal, and now they're three D animated characters. That'll be a good time to throw that idea I, well it's coming Joe. It happens to all the characters.
0: Do those do those characters is there any way to make them like workable in 3D? Yes. I'm I'm sure this is like, you know, that show went on went on for like 8 years. I'm sure there's some episode where there's or something like a video game or something where there's like 3D versions of those characters. Yes. I just I, I'm struggling with it.
1: Well, well, I'll see you there. I'll see you at the premiere. It'll be Phineas and, and Ferb. Um, It'll be much like the Smurfs or something like it, starring Phineas and Ferb, and also mm-hmm. an actor who will be older and not successful. I don't know. A broken Rick, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio.
0: There, there's, I'm not sending this to you. You'll need to find it on your own. There's someone on the internet um, who has... Taking it into their own hands to craft shockingly realistic representations of what Phineas and Ferb might look like if their cartoon anatomy was um, no carried by real people. Um, no, it's terrifying. No, I, um, yeah, you were just
1: telling. I mean, I was just telling you about my my very real fear of being approached by a two dimensional character in the three dimensional world, <laughs> and their strange crab walk as they make eye contact with me. Um, especially Phineas, to be honest. Uh, Mm -hmm. I will check that out after, and we can swap images of the cars from cars, uh, the diagram of their insides. Oh, God. Um, Yeah. Um, But for now, let me tell you about a special thing I brought for you um, for today.
0: Please do. All
1: right, Joe, so this week I'm going to be telling you about Star Wars Clone Wars. Not Star Wars The Clone Wars, but Star Wars Clone Wars, which is uh, the 2D sort of Clone Wars show that came out, I think, before... Uh, the, the the main series and it's not very long but it's by Jandy Tartakovsky <laughs> the man behind Dexter's Laboratory Samurai Jack and the likes and you, you can sort of tell from the animation style um, I'm not sure if he's in charge of that but um, it looks really cool in that way uh, and I think it fits Star Wars really well actually it's one of those things where you know the cartoony characters can now really really blend with the humanoid characters um and it it does remind me of the 3d clone war show in the way things are way more angular and uh that sort of thing um anyways just like um samurai jack that's what it reminded me of most when i was re-watching it recently is um it's sort of a silence is embraced and i think that works really well for sort of the war and um, the clone war that they're trying to present and i think it It actually comes across as some, like, really, really cool Star Wars content and, like, really unique in that, you know, obviously it's sort of this guy's artful take on it. Um, It's really popular. It's really short. It's on Disney Plus now, as of recently. uh, And the whole thing together is, like, it was a bunch of small episodes, but I just watched it, and I think the whole thing together is about three hours, maybe, total. Um, And they kind of have them in two big chunks. And, yeah, it's set between Attack of the Clones and um, Revenge of the Sith. And it does a really good job of bridging that, like, slightly. Um, And it bridges it in, like, oh, this is why Anakin's hair is longer. It sort of gets him to be a master Jedi, gives him the scar, introduces, you know, Grievous, that sort of stuff. Um, But it also um, manages to have a fair amount of character focus on Anakin. Not a tremendous amount, but a little bit. Uh, And it sort of focuses on his trials for becoming a Jedi. And, yeah, it's it's actually really great to watch it's really relaxing um it's it's very atmospheric but the lightsaber fights are really cool the visuals are really cool i'm thinking of specifically um like the jedi get to be a little more cartoonish and incredible than ever before and there's this one sort of mini episode where mace windu is like battling these huge like um ships i guess ships that sort of come over the battlefield like the land battlefield and like smash down creating these huge earthquakes and killing tons of troops and he's able to use his powers in a really really incredible way that i've you know never seen before and it sort of works because it's in this more cartoony world uh another thing that goes on there's like lightsabers in the rain you know in this kind of stalemate battle between anakin and this new this new uh um, dark side assassin and the lightsabers just like start steaming it's it's very artful and it's it's honestly like definitely worth watching i don't think it is considered canon anymore but it's sick it's sick and it fits in with everything else pretty much perfectly so i would definitely recommend it if you haven't seen it
0: mm-hmm. i've 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 actually never watched it um uh n- not to not to like take the least significant thing from what you just said but i i i do remember reading on some wiki many years ago um that in the in the current canon, because like that's where Anakin gets his uh his his face scar, um they, there's like no explanation for that <laughs> in the No,
1: there isn't. <laughs> he he I thought when I was coming into this that he got it from his duel, but he didn't. He just came home one day. There's like there's a scene of him in battle and he the scene of him coming home to Padme mm-hmm. and she's like, Oh, your face. And he's like, Yup. Um Which is pretty funny. I don't know how people have scars when they live in a world where cutting off limbs isn't a big deal at all. Um, Yeah,
0: there's there's so much advanced surgical technology in the Star Wars universe.
1: I don't know what to tell you, man. Um, Yeah, he just has a scar. Maybe it looks cool. I mean, it does look cool. So maybe that's kind of what it is. You know, he's like, this looks cool. Um, Mm
0: -hmm. Okay. I I think, you know, the reason I never really watched these cartoons... um, is because like, like they, they always sort of struck me as pretty shallow character-wise. Would you say that's true?
1: Not entirely. I, I don't know. For me, it's relevant in that it it sort of shows you the things that are implied between movies. That's why it's relevant for me. Because, you know, you come into the Revenge of the Sith, and Anakin's a different person, right? At least a little bit. Um, or at least they, they tell you he is, and then the acting's really bad. But... Um, <laughs> You know, and some of those things are just like addressed in small ways that, you know, you you sort of are implied, but it's good to see. It's sort of like, it's sort of like um, El Camino from Breaking Bad. Like it's like that's sort of where you <laughs> thought that was going. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like he, he was Absolutely. driving away, and you got the picture. But you know, it's good to see, anyways.
0: Right. That's a that's a really funny comparison. I think there's like you know the the project of like all the clone wars stuff is really interesting because it's like this kind of ongoing patchwork operation to make like something interesting out of the prequels which i think like you and i both agree have like a lot of interesting thematic character stuff going on beneath the surface but like the execution is obviously terrible
1: (laughs) yeah exactly um And just, like, the other thing about it that I realized is sort of the movies have to move so fast through big events that they miss out. Like, I realized that, you know, watching the second one and then the third one again, um, episode two, episode three, you don't even get that much Clone Wars. You know what I mean? It's just sort of like, and then a war happened between these two movies. Here's how it started. Here's how it ended. But you don't get Mm -hmm. a sense for that. You know what I mean? Um, So, like, almost, like, the scale of things is, is on fast forward. I don't know. It seems a little... Like there's not enough time to tell Anakin's story.
0: Yeah. Um interesting. Okay. I uh I may check him out. Nick, do you wanna
1: Do you want do I wanna hear about your thing instead of yeah, talking about you. Star Wars for hours? Yes. <laughs> sounds sounds good to me.
0: Uh Nick, I, I I found myself um this week with a larger than normal amount of free time. Um and so I committed uh, myself to to watching um, the final four episodes of 1994's one season teen drama, My So Called Life, which we've talked about probably three or four times on the show before. Um, you know, as 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 longtime listeners will know, um, and uh, I, I've i finally finished it, um, and I think I think it's a great show. Um, I think I think maybe even last episode, since it's been so long, um, I, I I talked about. Um, or the last time I t- talked about this show, um, uh, I said that like what stood out to me was its empathy for all the characters, um, and that that's become even more true now that I've seen all the episodes. Um, there are there are certain characters, um, that you think are totally unsympathetic at the start of the show, but by the end of it, the, they've developed all these, um, different textures and nuances that you can't help but like or or even to love them um i, I don't i don't hate brian krakow um, and i totally thought that i would uh, i was for for 10 episodes i was convinced that i hated brian krakow um, and suddenly i didn't <laughs> um, nice and i how do you I, feel about I,
1: jordan uh,
0: i i also like him for for about 15 episodes i was convinced i hated jordan catalano <laughs> um, and suddenly i didn't i the, the the show has a way of doing that where where it will um pull you into the world of characters that um you 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 don't even think have extra layers but they do um like there, there's there's a moment um in one of the later episodes the moment that that i think sells you on jordan catalano and it's after you've spent a lot of time with him as the main character angela's um kind of failed love interest he he's played as kind of this sleazy guy it's jared leto so like yeah um you know he he's he's not very smart he he kind of can't read yeah he can't read um which is a crucial thing and that does actually make him a bit more sympathetic because he realized that that um he's coming from a pretty unprivileged background um but the the we we've by around 15 episodes into the show Um, we've been exposed to Jordan primarily in situations where he's unsympathetic. And suddenly there's a moment where one of the other characters, um, Ricky um, has become homeless and he runs into Jordan and Jordan basically without a second thought um, takes him to a place where he can get shelter and sleep for the night. Um, And you realize in that moment that either Jordan has been in this experience before or that he like is just caring in that way, or both, um, which is such a shock. And they continue to develop on that side of him through the next few episodes. Um, and I, I think the the cool thing about it is it just like you know does that with every character. There, there, there's even though the show ends um, very prematurely, and there are so many um, loose threads, um, I, I would say that it doesn't feel like there are stones that are left unturned with the characters.
1: Yeah, it's a good, I was going to say it's a good point. Cause especially like the narration of the, the intros changes around and you sort of get episodes focused on different characters. And by the end you've even hit like, you know, Angela's little sister, who is a totally gimmick side character. Um, but you grow to understand even her. And I, I think that's, I think that's a really good point. Um, I was thinking of Jordan what you're saying about Jordan. I think it's, it's funny because trying to think of my first impression of Jordan, like Angela's in the car with him. She's liked him for so long. He's kind of just Jared Leto. Um, and he goes to kiss her and she's like, no, it's too soon. And it's kind of this awkward thing where you're like, ah, what a dirtbag, you know, and that's sort of your reaction. Um, mm-hmm. And But instead of running with that, they actually develop it to the point where you know them both and you know why they might do something like that. And I don't know what I find interesting by the end. You tell me what you think. You know, I watched it a while ago, but. I was even starting to believe that those two are good together. Like, even though they're so different and like, it seemed like such a fantasy crush by Angela.
0: Yeah. I I mean, so like by the end of the show, I think they have made a decently compelling argument that Jordan Catalano is like not the person we saw him as through Angela's eyes. Um, and it's like only after they break up officially that they actually really begin to know one another. um, and so, so I think there is, like, at least a possibility that they could be good together um, in terms of uh, whatever shipping conversation you want to have. Um, oh,
1: Joe, I want to have all the shipping conversations. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sorry, I guess. But I'm really concerned with who Angela ends up with.
0: Yeah. Because um, there's also the option of Brian Krakow, who's like, also, Boo. you know, also sucks shit in very obvious ways. <laughs> but you understand him
1: yeah what's that episode about brian he what does he do he sort of goes he wants to go to the dance with two girls or something and you're like brian what is it uh
0: brian uh who's like the nerd who lives next to angela um and they've known each other their whole lives but brian's just kind of a weirdo um and he
1: just bikes in the street around her house terrible yes brian brian has a
0: lot of um sort of pretenses from childhood that he hasn't gotten over yet um and so in this episode, Life of Brian, um, which I think might, may or may not intentionally be named after the Monty Python movie. Definitely um, is intentional. Yeah, it's just like, it's weird because it has nothing to do with that movie. Um, I don't know. I'd believe that Brian has maybe seen that movie.
1: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway,
0: um, in that episode, Brian sort of runs in this situation where there's a girl who's just transferred to their high school. Um, and she's actually into him, which is the first time he's ever experienced um, uh, Human any kind function. of, yeah. <laughs> um, there's a weird thread where um, they keep touching on the fact that like his his parents are both psychologists and we never meet them, but they seem fairly distant. Um, anyway, uh, so so Brian has this girl who's interested in him, uh, but he still um, is carrying a torch for Angela, even though she obviously will never, ever, ever go on a date with him um and uh over the course of the episode we see him uh throw the, the this very very casually and very like rudely throw this girl away who um you know he he maybe has a shot with um for the sake of chasing like a date with Angela that will never happen and by the end of the episode they they're they're all mad at him um but through the, the specific details of that episode, you sort of come to understand like who he is as a person.
1: Yeah, I guess. Um, I, yeah. I think I still don't like Brian by the end of it, but I know that there's people out there who love him. So I'll
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't love him. I think I, I understand him, and um, I know this will sound weird given what I just said about him. Uh, I, I think I maybe even start to like him by the end of the show. Uh,
1: (laughs) nice yeah it's a a great show i hope i hope more people watch it by the fact that we keep talking about it on this show forever
0: yeah uh i i also want to comment on like the 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 cinematography or at least like the 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 visual reality of the show um i think is like it's a really well-made show for the time um I, I've seen like a decent chunk of television circa nineteen ninety-four and it does not look this good. Um like like it's it's not it's not mind blowing for the most part, but it, it like the visual chops I think are consistently like very good and they never really make boring decisions. Um and it's never really afraid to get too abstract or, or ground us in the character's emotions.
1: Yeah, I agree. Shall like we? you,
0: you look at this, and then you look at like Star Trek from the same time, night and day. <laughs>
1: yeah, Star I'm Trek.
0: Taking the, I'm taking the lowest hanging fruit, but <laughs> yeah, it is. It
1: really is. Uh, should we? Should we move to the main main cranberries?
0: Uh, yeah, let's do it. Nick, we're uh, we're back this week talking about the second half of the Scott Pilgrim comic book series. Um, this takes us through Evil X's numbers four through seven, um, and I, I think this is the the half of the series where we get to a lot of the more compelling, emotional stuff. Um, you know, what what's what's your impression of of uh, these books?
1: Well, we took a long break between, and I picked it up closer to now than then. Um, and I was so glad that these books also seem to have acknowledged that hiatus. Um, and it, it starts with the, all the characters in summer and the arts way better and they're all hanging out and it, not everything's bad. And I don't know, I just, that, that moment really grounded me because despite anything I had to say about the first three, Scott Pilgrim's world comes across really well in the art style. And I don't know the way I, I just feel happy there. Everyone's got big eyes and it's nice, you know, it's uh very calming. So just to see the characters hang out when I was just coming back to it was really fun. It was really fun. And that was my first good impression. And I think it really set the tone for the next three.
0: Yeah. I, I, uh, I really like that, that intro sequence in volume four. Um, It always brings back sort of happy memories of reading that book as a child to me.
1: Uh... I was going to say from, from that scene, just that, you know, even from that scene and onwards, I think these three books, um, definitely make a better case for Scott and Ramona that I, so I, I take back what I said before. I think that I like them better now.
0: I um, you know, I I think I mentioned last time um that I think that Scott Pilgrim's side characters are very fleshed out, and you kind of challenged me on that. Um, and I I think I want to make both a correction and a defense of that statement. Um, based on yes. like having now reread these later three recently. The um, council
1: will now hear your your statement.
0: <laughs> I think that the side characters in Scott Pilgrim have rich interior lives that we are occasionally privy to. Um like whenever we see Kim or or Steven or whoever, they're they're always doing something that connects to their lives. You know, Kim has whole subplots, and the same with Steven, where they that happen pretty much mostly off-panel. Um, you know, she has like her job at the video store and like her her love triangle dynamic with, with, uh, her housemate Holly and, and Jason Kim, both of whom are characters that we don't really get to meet. Um, Steven has like another whole like romantic subplot that happens just off panel. Um, like, you know, uh, Julie is a character who is pretty far away from the plot, all things considered, but she's so memorable. Um, and I, I, I think that, you know, more or less my point there. Um, is that Scott Pilgrim? The comic is is mostly still like about Scott Pilgrim the character, um, but to me, the the fictional version of Toronto that it creates is, is is very much alive with a bunch of people.
1: Okay, exactly. That's that's actually exactly what I was trying to say about the this the summer beach scene. Mm. I think I think I think I just now realized it's sort of like the the good thing about the world is that in every scene you meet a friend of a friend, yeah, um, and you sort of there's so many that you tend to forget you know, in any given moment who's going on. And like, I just realized that like Scott's sister, like almost no role in these three books, but yeah. she's introduced in the first one. And like, Oh, it's Scott's sister. You like try to remember her. And it's just cause. And then there's all these parties that Julie's hosting this time around. And there's all these characters in them. And you're like, Oh, I sort of remember you. Like, it's it's really funny, especially when like you're saying, like, what is it? Kim moves in with one of her friends. And I was like, who is this friend of Kim's again? And I guess they work together at the video store, but I only realized way later. Um, mm-hmm. And it's funny. Cause that's sort of how Scott operates. He's like constantly forgetting people. Um, but the world feels very populated. I think that's part of the charm.
0: Yeah. Um, um, oh, I, I have, before we get any further, I have one major correction to make from last episode. Um, I see. You thought his name was pronounced Stefan. Um, it's Stephen and uh no, you're, you're wrong he's named okay. after a real person okay <laughs> and the name is pronounced steven stills
1: yeah i know i just wanted to mess with you i i mean not entirely i i did look at it and go is that stefan but i realize that Stephen is sometimes spelled like that um i wanted to see what you would do if i said that it, it's sort of like the carolina carolina from runaways you know anything in books really um mm-hmm. So in my defense, uh
0: we we both know the truth in that it's pronounced Carolina. Of um, course.
1: <laughs> so Scott, what's Scott up to this time around? He's it's a little bit different, and I think the, the boyfriends take a sideline totally. generally, and they become more of a gimmick, which is perfect because otherwise we would be sick of it, and it seems like the characters are sort of getting sick of it. Um which works out perfectly. And i I enjoy I enjoyed the More of the focus on Scott's life and him as a person dealing with it uh, outside of the fantasy elements of the book. Of course, they're still there, and they kind of come up in more interesting ways, sort of like um, in the fourth one. Instead of fighting just a boyfriend, he's fighting an ex-girlfriend, and he's fighting Knives' dad. Like, it's sort of this mystery about who's that guy. And, um, you know, it's sort of similar in that there's a duel, but there's just funnier circumstances that surround it, and it keeps it fresh.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, I, I have a couple things to say about that, which is, like, you know, A, more relevant to your point. I think around Volume 4, the book becomes just very disinterested in the fights with the evil exes, um, which I, th- I, I think is the right move. Um, like, you know, Volume 4, mainly about Lisa, barely features Roxy or Nyx's dad. <laughs> um, uh, in Volume 5, like, the the, the twins are basically just a running gag in the background. Yeah. It's
1: literally um, in that one, it, it becomes literally Ramona exits the scene to talk about something else. And like Scott is fighting them in like either behind like a glass door or off panel. And it's, it's quite literally like in the background.
0: Yeah. I, I think that, um, you know, that that's probably most of why I like these volumes better. They're, they're, they're more involved with the character drama directly. Um, like, like, there's there's less this pretense of fulfilling the conceit of the book just because like oh it's another scott pilgrim book we have to fight an evil ex um like volume 5 ends on a, a a 22 page epilogue where we're mainly just like sitting in this weird haze of scott's emotions after ramona has left him and the only real through line is like him trying to find her cat again and that goes on for <laughs> so long um and he, he doesn't even do it. Like the last page is just like him sitting out for the cat. Um, and the cat doesn't come back. Um, and I, I, I think that like that has a level of storytelling maturity um, that absolutely was not there in volume one.
1: Yeah. Um, I, another thing I liked is that I told you last time that I was sort of annoyed with Scott as him as a person. And this these books got out of their way to be like, Scott is shitty. Um, you know, he's trying to do better. I guess at least to some extent especially when he's sort of just getting that job I think that's in the fourth volume he's get he's trying to get a job to be less of a bum and he's trying to be a better boyfriend to Ramona and I think that that all comes uh comes out really well and especially I'm thinking of the scene where I guess she finds out he cheated on her was that it I don't know and she's she's mad and they're in bed together and he's like are you mad and she's like wah, wah, wah. Her, her head is glowing quotes um <laughs> and he's kind of like, don't be mad. You know, I'm trying to do better. And I don't know, that, that to me just rung true. And I, I sympathize with Scott in that. And I started to like him a little, just a little bit. I started to like him.
0: It's interesting because, um, you know, something we learn about Scott, especially in these later volumes, um, is that he is, you know, the, the, in the first volume, we know from even the, the, the word go from the title like scott Pilgrim's precious little life that scott Pilgrim is to some extent living in a fantasy world that he's created that kind of resembles like in in imagine his imagined version of what he thinks like being a cool kid was like like that's why he's dating knives or like that's why he's like still hanging out with his friends from high school (laughs) um you know and i i think these books directly challenge him on that um in that he has literal false memories um like there there's the moment where in volume six where um him and kim go out to the forest um and he realizes that the guy he beat up way at the prologue of volume two um was not like an evil mastermind he was just like a kid that like asked kim out on a date (laughs) um
1: yeah it's funny because his sort of annoying habit of being totally clueless and forgetful is sort of it becomes like a weird like sickness, like an actual thing, I guess. Um, and then he's sort of cured of that in a fantasy battle, and that that was a weird note to me. I don't know. It's not it's not my favorite because it kind of annoyed me, and I think trying to explain it, I guess it's, I guess what it's trying to say is that he's in denial and stuff. But I feel like there's better ways to do that because it, it just comes across that he's kind of a shitty person and friend, um, you know.
0: I basically. don't. I don't love the part later that implies that, that Gideon uh, Ramona's like final evil X is at least somewhat responsible for messing oh, with wait, Scott's what's memories. That? Wait, there's a me line that. in the, there's a line in the final fight where Gideon is like, yeah, I uh, spiced up some of Scott's memories, um, which, which seems to imply that he's at least partially responsible for why Scott is the way he is, which just feels <laughs> very hollow to me. And I, I, I
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't like that. I, I didn't notice that, but like that. I,
0: don't, I it it's it, it clashes so much with the rest of what the book is going for, and I don't understand why it's there to this day. Um
1: I have no idea. Like um, I,
0: I, I don't think we should be trying to absolve Scott of responsibility for things that he's done.
1: No, I don't think so. Um Yeah. But I think by the end I like Scott for sure. And I thought the final fight was kind of cool, um, and I thought it had a happy ending. I thought it was a good happy ending. I was gonna say, what do you think of um, sort of Ramona's character? I know you were talking about her last time, and you were a little unsure about her development. What do you What do you think in this one? I think I think it's much better. What's your general? Yeah,
0: I, I I think um, you know, for me, because my first interaction with Scott Pilgrim was seeing the movie, and then I had that as a contrast to the books. Um, I think there's always like the thing of like, you know, Ramona is done so dirty in the movie, um, by comparison, that it's just like obviously like the version of her in the comic is much more well rounded. Um I think I think on this go-through, I found her less compelling than I did in previous reads. Um there's a lot that's like implied about Ramona, um, just because like the by the nature of the story, whenever we meet in Evil X, we're kind of inherently learning something about Ramona um and then you know in this one her like one of her big final monologues after the the fight is sort of about um or th- this might actually be during the fight um it's like when she's talking about how she's kind of constantly reinventing herself and kind of running away um from like the things she's done kind of in a similar way to scott um which i think is is perhaps the emotional core of their relationship. <laughs>
1: Yeah, exactly. I was actually thinking of that. Um, and that, that's what something I, I kind of came around to Ramona at least a little bit. And I liked um, that there was sort of Scott's reaction to Ramona was like, oh, uh, she was like, why do you even like me? And he was like, oh, you're like uh, mysterious. And she was like, that's a bad reaction. Um, mm-hmm. But sort of he learns, and you learn, you know, when he's being a little more serious that, it, you know, she's, yes, she kind of hides things about her past, but that's because she's running from it. And I thought that was at least a little bit interesting. And I thought work to sort of parallel her with Scott and I, I I don't know there is sort of a still a um, unexplored aspect of her, but I guess that's kind of that's kind of part of it and you, you do get something I enjoyed was getting her sense of humor and her drunkness actually um because I feel like that's a good way to understand her a little bit like I don't know. I thought that that for me was like okay i I'm starting to get her a little bit more um,
0: yeah her her friendship with Kim in in volume five because like that's something we get to see because Kim is like. Peripheral to Scott, so that's someone that that Ramona is interacting with who's not Scott. That we get to see kind of how she bounces off of her instead. I think that stuff's really interesting.
1: Yeah, Um, I agree. And like more than more than a character's past, you you know, it's nice to see how they interact with each other. And I thought that was kind of a new dynamic. She's a new friend, so that's cool. Yeah. Um. Actually, I also enjoyed when Scott was like Gideon. You were the cat the whole time because her cat's named Gideon. And he's like, um, no, I, first of all, I thought that was really funny, but I also thought it was really funny. No, I thought it was, I mean, it was also funny, but I thought it was really, really good that Ramona was like, Hey man, I'm just weird. And I have my ways of dealing with things by naming my cat, my ex-boyfriend. Um, and I thought that was, that yeah. was sort of insightful. You know, Ramona's just a little different. She's a little different I and mean, that's okay.
0: Yeah. I, I think you know, uh, something, something I was coming out with it, <laughs> something I was coming out the book with, um, this time around was just thinking about blankets, um, and how, how much of a cypher Reina is in that book. Um, and I, I, I do sort of want to believe that Ramona is at least a little different. Um, and I think she is, uh,
1: I think a little, I mean, it's nice because she's a fictional character. That's a good start. Yeah. Um, <laughs> man, we just can't stop, uh, <laughs> there are
0: you know there are ways in which you know the the plot it's it's like it's it's necessary to the plot that ramona is mysterious and that we don't know things about her um which i don't know it is both the point and also bothers me
1: (laughs) yeah it could be better it could definitely be better but i think that you know versus the first three books this was like way better for me and i enjoyed her more totally Um, except for moments. I mean, in those moments that we were talking about for sure. And I, I didn't like it as much when she was just like jealous. I thought that was dumb. I think that was a dumb plot. Um, you know, when what's her name, the blonde from Scott's past from baby school.
0: Yeah. Lisa she comes
1: in. Um, Lisa. Sorry. I don't yeah. know.
0: I don't know if I think, I don't know if those moments don't work for me. I'm, I'm, I'm interested by the Lisa plot because there's like a lot going on for Scott. I think you, you might be right that Rabona is arbitrarily jealous there.
1: What do you think is going on for Scott?
0: I think that, you know, what we see with Lisa is, is kind of expanding on what we've seen with Scott previously up to that point, where he's like the kind of guy who sets all these pretty arbitrary moral rules for himself that he apparently breaks somewhat frequently. Like, you know, he says he doesn't drink, but he obviously does. Um, he's grossed out by smoking it's unclear where he actually falls on that. Um, You know, and he he also thinks that cheating is like kind of a sin, even though it's one of the first things he does in the series. Um, And, and we also sort of expand on that with his behavior with Lisa, because um, like like there's, there's a weird line. Um, Scott is walking from cheating on knives with Ramona up until meeting Lisa again. Um, where he is establishing his own moral values and not acting on them, um, coherently. Um, but then when Lisa is like, Hey man, do you, do you want to like make out or whatever? Or like, um, I'm in love with you or whatever she says in that scene. Um, he apparently chooses not to, um, And like yeah, there's some some ambiguity in that scene, but I think we are mostly supposed to like believe Lisa at her word, based on how disappointed she is.
1: Yeah, I I believe her. I think I think the one funny. He also chooses to forget that it's one of the things that he blocks out. Um,
0: Oh, I I I think the one thing she lies about there is that they had pizza. I think they were doing some drinking, (laughs) Um, and that's why he doesn't remember. Um, Oh
1: sure, but you know I think it plays into his forgetfulness in general
0: yeah sure um so so i think like you know with, with that scene you have this weird arc um of scott kind of stumbling into being a better version of the sort of person he pretends to be um i don't know i i i guess what i'm getting at is that like uh, not <laughs> making out with lisa is perhaps one of the first times we see scott actually act in accordance with his own moral values um
1: yeah i buy that actually i wasn't uh, joe you've convinced me now i like it um
0: yeah it's also like like you know if 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 scott pilgrim is like chasing this imaginary version of his high school life um this is like the moment when he chooses not to at least in some subtle way because like lisa is like you know the girl who was totally into him in high school um and so if it, it you know if he wanted to go live his life with her he totally could um I don't know. It's it's even complicated more by like, after this, he still has to face consequences for like that he did cheat on Ramona and knives. So
1: yeah, I think I think that works though. I I actually am now I now I like it much better, and I think I like everything much better. Um, yeah, that's that's convinced me. Um, cool. it does <laughs> kind of the the one thing I guess the last thing that I might complain about. I don't know. There might be something else in me, is that the a lot of stuff that I don't like from the first books doesn't really carry over or at least gets improved on in terms of characters. Uh, But one thing that doesn't change is this weird, like sex fantasy revolving around Scott all the time and everyone's into him and everyone's making out. And it's just, I don't, I don't like it
0: just in terms of like Scott Pilgrim seems to be more sexually attractive to the other characters than he possibly should be.
1: I don't know. There's just like a weird amount of focus on, on, on that. You know, it's, it's like, that's what a lot of the plot moving, the plot is, you know, it's like, Oh, knives. dad is mad at Scott for dating knives in the past. Oh, knives is crazy because she's still in love with Scott. Oh, Lisa's back in town. She's in love with Scott from the past. Kim is, you know, still sour from high school stuff like that, you know, and the Ramona's his yeah. current and her exes are playing in. It's like this whole, you know, it's this whole world revolves around Scott and his, like, not just Scott, but like his dating life. Right. Um,
0: like, they, there are there are an, an improbable number of people who are in love with Scott Pilgrim, given the kind of person he is. Um.
1: That, but also just, like, I don't know, like, people that care about it, whether they're in love with him or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I didn't really enjoy that. I don't know. Especially, like... Especially, I, I you know you've now convinced me that <laughs> Lisa is cool, but and that that whole aspect of the the story is cool. But I still like it's, it's this weird thing where Lisa's like, yeah, Scott, like I came back into town and I saw that you were eyeing me up, so I've been dressing all sexy for you, and it's just like a weird note to hit, you know? Like, oh
0: yeah, I mean, I mean, so like to be clear, I, I, I like the function that it's weird because I, I, I like the function that Lisa serves in the story for Scott's development. I think that like Lisa is like. The temptress cliche character, like you know, like she has a fair amount of depth, but like you know, it's played pretty straight. Like Lisa is an obstacle for Scott Pilgrim to overcome in some sense. Like, like it's like you know, literally like the 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 siren song <laughs> that he has to avoid. um You know, and and that that's that's not great.
1: <laughs> yeah, it also just like doesn't make that much sense. You know, like why would she be that into him maybe from high school? I guess that kind of makes sense, but I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. There I guess is, these things um, happen to cool people, but <laughs> um, I, guess. I, I wasn't convinced.
0: <laughs> I think, I think that's a fair criticism. I think, I think even, even though Scott Pilgrim does a lot of Scott Pilgrim, the book does a lot of like breaking down wish fulfillment stuff. There is like still, you know, at the heart of it, there, there's something there.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know standout side characters. And I liked Kim a lot more in this book, and I you you write about Kim having a background life. I really liked when, I guess that's when she was dating what's his name Jason Kim. Um, uh, yeah, that she like starts wearing her hair different. She's like wearing sunflower shirts, which is totally opposite of her normal self. Um, I thought that was a good little detail. Uh, Kim, I think I liked probably the the most of the side characters in these three. She was just totally fun.
0: Yeah, uh, like I said in the first episode, I I love Kim. Uh, I think she's <laughs> incredibly entertaining.
1: Yeah, she's just like really funny. I don't know. Uh, knives, I actually like knives a little bit more this time. Mm-hmm. I liked her. I liked her getting over Scott eventually, and just like having that serious moment, even though she's been such a ridiculous character before. I thought that was a great contrast and just like genuinely really funny. Um,
0: yeah. Um, I I I think. This this is mostly unrelated. Uh, you know the 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 comedic timing, uh, in these books is pretty much always on point as hell. Uh, <laughs> I was just like you, you talking about knives reminded me of this moment, um, where in volume five where she's finally found out that Scott was cheating on her and she's explaining it to her friend Tamara. Um, yeah. this absolutely must be Ramona's fault in some way, and the two of them are having this conversation in a vending machine. Um, so you get like panel one of knives saying that it was Ramona's fault. Panel two, she takes a massive swig of Coca-Cola. Panel three, she wipes her mouth. Panel four, I mean, it must have been her fault. <laughs> uh.
1: That's funny. I wasn't thinking, I thought I thought for sure you were going to say uh, when she's talking to her friend in her bedroom about Scott and her friend's like, hey, if you like Scott so much, how come you ripped up his face on your shrine of him? And there's just like a big X on Scott's picture on her like little like corkboard and she's like did i do that i didn't do that and it's like really good timing around that picture um i can't say exactly but i thought that was probably the funniest moment in the whole series
0: and You, you know what i i i found out in terms of like the the jokes in this series there's like a really weird running gag where like anytime a character speaks in a foreign language and it's translated what the character is actually saying is like a man like like uh, from a manual for like speaking that language like like if you if you you look at the scene where mr chow shows up and he speaks chinese um like i I used google translate and he seems to be like quoting like some sort of uh instruction on like talking in some tense in chinese (laughs) um
1: that's that's pretty
0: funny (laughs) and later that later they do something with like with french where, where, like, uh, a character says Jacques, um, and the and there, there's an asterisk that says, like, French. <laughs> uh.
1: Yeah, that was funny, too. <laughs> that, that was pretty good. Oh, another funny another funny one, I think this was my second funniest moment, is when Knives' dad is mad at Scott and trying to kill him, but then he defeats a boyfriend in front of her, uh, him, of Knives' dad, and he's just on the rooftop, and Scott looks up, and he just nods. Of approval and scott's just like oh i guess we found some mutual respect i thought that was really funny mm-hmm. there's um, a lot of good jokes in here a lot of good what's jokes my
0: i think i think my number one favorite um the one that like always makes me laugh um and it's a stupid joke um <laughs> but it's great uh the big final fight um envy is wearing a dress uh gideon takes off the dress envy has another dress underneath the dress that gideon took off turns into a sword he says yes i had a sword built into envy's dress in case of emergency that's just the kind of guy i am
1: that's pretty funny doesn't he (laughs) wait doesn't isn't that isn't what he says i took off this dress to reveal a sexier dress under her like
0: i think that's the caption.
1: Oh okay. okay. <laughs> I thought that's what you're gonna say, and I was like, that doesn't seem like your kind of joke. That's pretty funny though. Um, yeah, it's a funny book. It gets way funnier, I think, and yeah, I enjoy it for that. I
0: I, I think you know the dialogue throughout Scott Pilgrim is pretty damn quotable. Um, but I, th- I I think near the end it just becomes at its peak.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, um, Gideon? What do you think
0: about What do you think about Gideon? Yeah.
1: Is that what you're going to say? Yeah. That's funny. Um I don't know. I thought Gideon was lame. I was like mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like this is what he looks like. He was just so like I don't know. Like what happens is that the other boyfriends are sort of just like a background gag to not really, but you know, sort of they're sort of the final moment of a book that was funny before and will be funny in the next book. Um where Gideon is kind of like not the most interesting part of the sort of ending, you know, I don't know, piece of Scott Pilgrim, but yeah. it is sort of the big focus. Like, there's a final fight, and I'm just kind of like, why? Like, I, I enjoyed it, sort of, but I think it didn't line up exactly with the emotional, you know, things that I was more interested in between Ramona and Scott.
0: Yeah, I I agree, I, and it's, it's I think, you know, the the thing on this reread. It kind of makes, I I, I think I've hit a point where like Scott Pilgrim is not doing what it did for me at age 19, what it did for me um, uh, at age 13, uh, which is fine. Um, But I I, I wonder if like basically (laughs) having Gideon basically being like an evil Scott with all of Scott's worst tendencies amped up to 11 is like maybe just a bit too easy um like it it works well in terms of the story wants to have a final boss for them to fight mm. um but I, I i don't think it's the right note to end on um i think that like you know if scott's big final development is him like learning to see outside of himself and understand other people and and, and actually gaining a real sense of empathy it feels like a bit of a cop-out that the the big bad guy is the most terrible unredeemable cartoon in the world um like to uh, be fair, he
1: does understand him for a moment and then vanquishes him.
0: Yeah. Like like, and I, I understand, like, you know, some people you understand and they also suck. I get it. Um but at the same time, like, I I wonder if there's like a more emotionally complex version of this. Um
1: <laughs> I think now that you said that, yeah, there definitely is. <laughs> yeah.
0: Because like, this like, guy,
1: how bad can he be? He's just another ex. Like that could have easily been Scott. That's the idea, right? Like
0: Yeah, I mean I mean You know, on the one hand, in the text, he's a terrible person. He cryogenically freezes, like, six girls. Um, (laughs) Yes, he does. But uh, (laughs) it's like a counterpoint for Scott in that, like, Scott needs the moment of, like, oh, this is, like, a worse version of me. I understand what I did to people now. Um, But also, like, you know, it could have been so much more if that character was played in a different way. Yeah, Yeah. I
1: think that's... That's a good point.
0: I I still like Scott Pilgrim a lot. I still love Volume Six. I just think that like, you know, this is something that sticks out to me now as an adult.
1: Yeah. Do you think? Do you think we're gonna reread Scott Pilgrim when we're like, fifty-seven? We're gonna be like, hey, you know what? Scott Pilgrim for some reason isn't doing what it did for me at age (laughs) thirteen. Or do you think it will Uh, be in turn? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe this is the final opinion it's I, I,
0: I think you know the the lens that I, I I take with all media is that you know we we as people are are ever evolving um and uh you know your favorite movie when you're twelve is probably not going to be your favorite movie when you're uh sixteen and definitely won't be your favorite movie when you're like thirty um and that's okay because we're always changing as people and we'll always find new movies or comic books um. And I, I I think, you know, Scott Pilgrim was at least useful to me um, for a long time. And I still enjoy it a lot, um, but it's like, you know, not the same book for me anymore. Uh, and I, I'm I'm okay with that.
1: Joe, that's a lot of wisdom. I think you need to take it easy until the end of the show, man.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll calm down. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I had that like emotional epiphany when I was reading it today.
1: <laughs> yeah, man, it's all right. It's okay, man. It's still good.
0: Yeah. Oh, no, it's a it's a well-made comic. I respect it a lot.
1: <laughs> Sick.
0: Nick, do you have any final thoughts?
1: I think it's a fun, good book. And um, I would definitely read it again sometime because it takes me to a nice place where I live in Canada and all my friends have lots of friends that I can hang out with.
0: Uh, I recommend Scott Pilgrim if for some reason you're listening to this and you haven't if it. If for some you
1: reason know. you're 13... A-o.
0: <laughs> A-o. Uh, I-, I think it's an enjoyable experience at any age as long as you um you know if you're someone who's going to like scott pilgrim i think you're going to like scott pilgrim <laughs> nick uh i don't know how much how how much legs this has um at uh <laughs> At this stage, um, you know, we've been doing it for 52 episodes, um, but I, I, I sent you the other day, um, as I do, I guess, every week, um, I, I sent you a short video of a very chunky monkey being fed blueberries, uh-huh. um, and I'm here on air at Out Our Heads HQ to file a report, um, and this is very important. Um, okay. What are our thoughts on the chunky monkey? And is that... Okay,
1: that's this week's segment. Is that monkey?
0: <laughs> I was... I was Look, man, I'm that's tired. Cool. Hey, listen.
1: Hey, listen, man. That monkey, I'll try to describe it for our viewers. <laughs> it's about two feet tall. It looks furry like a chimp if a chimp just got blow dried. Um, and it's much more rounded than a chimp. Um, it's it's like a, like a chimp is a little more bubbly, like it's a cartoon. Um, and it's got nice orange hair and a little chimp face that's a little more vertical than a chimp. And it honestly looks like a cartoon. It looks like a cartoon, adorable thing. And it walks around on two legs, I guess, and takes blueberries from passersby.
0: Yeah. Um, it just has, like, these great little mannerisms um, where it waddles around. And I'm, I'm, I'm so charmed by it. Um, it doesn't look like it should exist in three dimensions. Um, but it does. Much like um, Phineas.
1: <laughs> Much like Phineas and Ferb. Our well,
0: this is something. This is something that exists in three dimensions, but it looks like it shouldn't. Phineas is something that doesn't exist in three dimensions and absolutely looks like it shouldn't.
1: Okay, fair enough.
0: Yeah, um, you know, I think uh, I think this chimp in the first um, ten seconds of this video, um, he sort of makes this shrug at the person with the camera, um, and it's just kind of a a New Yorkerly um, forget about it shrug. Um, And I I just really appreciate that out of this monkey. Um,
1: It's a good monkey. You should check it out. I doubt you could find it by the way we described it. But yeah. Yeah. Now for a little wisdom. This is from uh, the Clone Wars. I really couldn't find anything more specific (laughs) than that. (laughs) This is the 3D animated show. It's one of those wise quotes that appears before every episode. Oh, boy. Um, What? I love this some of them are so dumb but this one's good actually <laughs> a wise leader knows when to follow star wars the clone wars
0: it's true it's so true thank you master yoda uh, <laughs> thank you for listening to out of our heads a comics and pop culture podcast from the minds of joe bordner and nick portapapis you can contact us at out of our at gmail.com where you can send us letters or tell us about books you want covered on the show My handle online is joeby underscore draws. You can uh, get our comic, Jake Escape from Wizard Island, um, which is linked in the description. Uh, We'll be back next week. Uh, In the meantime, you can rate and review us on iTunes. It would help us out um, hypothetically. Uh, Stay safe and see you next time.